Good evening and happy Pride, everyone. Welcome to the June 2021 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, we've been celebrating Pride all month here on Outbeat Radio, and we've been looking forward to sharing tonight's show with you and our talented guest. Stephen Scaccia is a singer-songwriter we found last spring. He's been producing YouTube recordings of covers and his own original music for many years, and I know you're going to enjoy meeting him and hearing his story. So stay with us. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, June 27th, 2021. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of June 27th, 2021, and a special report celebrating this Pride Sunday and the 52nd anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Earlier this month, a priceless piece of history was returned to the GLBT Historical Society and Museum, a remnant of the original rainbow pride flag created by Gilbert Baker in 1978. The flag was first raised 43 years ago this very weekend at UN Plaza in San Francisco. Charlie Beal, a close friend of Gilbert's who now leads the Gilbert Baker Foundation, said the original handmade flag with the individually hand-dyed stripes was thought to be lost forever. The first question anybody ever asked me is, you know, whatever happened to the original rainbow flag? And, you know, and I say it's lost in history. I called Gilbert Baker's sister, Ardonna, and uh, she said, well, you know, I've got this box in the garage and it's got this old flag. I I could send you that. I said, please send me anything. We need a big flag for the parade. I got 50 volunteers waiting. This beat up cardboard box shows up and it has this, what looks like a flag and we pull it out and we're all excited, except it's the full 30 feet and all eight colors, but it's only about 10, 12 feet long. And it looks like it's been cut on the end. About three months later, I was contacted by Jim Farragan. Jim had been Gilbert's boss at the Paramount Flag Store. He mentioned this fragment that he had seen at Gilbert's apartment in 1983. And he started describing it. And Greg, at that point, the hair on the back of my neck starts blowing up. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, he's talking about that thing in the box in my closet. As soon as he realized the treasure he had discovered, Charlie flew to San Francisco to get the remnant authenticated. Eventually, we were able to get it out to San Francisco to show it to Jim. Uh, He's the world-renowned flag expert. He wrote up a big uh, report about its authenticity. We did some more, um, got some letters from people uh, to help with the chain of uh, custody. At that point, I reached out to the museum, and uh, that's where it is now. Gilbert Baker, the creator of the rainbow flag, passed away in his sleep on March 31st, 2017. Before his death, Gilbert told Charlie Beale that when he died, Gilbert wanted his collection of memorabilia to go to the GLBT Historical Society in San Francisco. In the last year before Gilbert Baker passed away, I don't know if he was feeling his mortality or not, but he did mention to me that, you know, if anything should happen to him, his collection should go there. I did finally reach out to Terry Beswick at the museum and told him about it. And of course, he flipped out with excitement. Terry Beswick, the executive director of the GLBT Historical Society, flew back to New York personally to pick up the flag remnant and bring it to the museum. Charlie says when people see it for the first time on display, they're moved. It means a lot. I mean, Terry talks about people coming in to see this. They, they, they're sometimes in tears to just to touch the glass case where it is and to see that symbol that is, you know, that is such a symbol of hope worldwide. 
in my speech at the press conference announcing that we had repatriated the flag back to San Francisco, I mentioned about people in refugee camps in, uh, in Kenya and activists in Tehran who are, you know, running through the streets with rainbow flags, risking arrest and risking their lives. This flag is an, a, an amazing icon. It is a global uh, symbol of hope to people taking that very first step out of that closet of darkness into the light of freedom. And uh, to have the original flag there uh, in the, the town where it was uh, created in an exhibit, by the way, of Gilbert's other flags and his other artwork that is at the museum right now was a, a real fulfillment of a, of a wish, you know, that he would have wanted and that I wished and, uh, and, a, and a very emotional moment. Gilbert Baker's memoir is called Rainbow Warrior, My Life in Color. And Charlie Beale now leads the Gilbert Baker Foundation, whose mission is to protect and extend the legacy of Gilbert Baker, the creator of the LGBT rainbow flag, to record and promote the history of the creation of the rainbow flag and its impact on the world, and to educate future generations about the LGBTQ rainbow flag. You can learn more about the foundation at gilbertbaker.com, and do be sure to visit the exhibit at the GLBT Historical Society's Museum on 18th Street in the Castro District of San Francisco. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Steven Scaccia is a professional songwriter, pop singer, and recording artist from Vancouver. He's been performing for over 12 years and has more than 50,000 followers on his YouTube channel. It features weekly performances of popular songs you'll know, Disney anthems, and his own original work. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great <laughs> to have you. I was so excited to find your music and you, and now to have a chance to talk with you and share your story with our listeners. It's really fantastic. Um, and they do always love to hear about the stories, the coming out stories of our guests. So <laughs> start us from the beginning. Tell us. Okay. Yeah. I, um, well, I was born and raised, I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I grew up in Burnaby, which is a city that's like 20 minutes away from Vancouver. I went to Catholic school my whole life from kindergarten to grade 12, senior year of high school. Um, you know, and I was raised in a traditional Italian Catholic family. And so growing up, there's a natural stigma. You're kind of conditioned to think that if you're kind of conditioned to think that you need to be afraid to come out. Um, mm. And so that's kind of how I felt for a long time. But also, probably like many, I, I kind of didn't denied it to myself anyway. Mm -hmm. I, every single day I just kind of was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, but I knew. Um, and it's funny because one summer I'll never forget. It was the summer, um, going into the 11th grade in high school. It was the weirdest thing. It was just like this light switch moment. I don't really know what prompted it, but it was maybe just this light switch moment of like, I'm fed up. I can't take this anymore. And mm -hmm. I just kind of accepted it to myself. I was like, you know what? It is what it is. And I had that moment of just self-acceptance. I was like, boom. But that, but I told, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody though. I'm not mm -hmm. telling anybody because I was raised, you know, my, my parents were always like, you know, like it's, it's rough out there and blah, 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 blah. You know, this one kid, he got kicked out of school for this and that, like, you know, and I was like, I'm not telling anybody because no one is going to accept me. And um, 
like shortly after that moment of self-acceptance, I happened to meet my first boyfriend at the time. I was like 16, but mm-hmm. um, he went to, we went to different high schools, but we had a couple mutual friends and we started dating. And, uh, you know, shortly after I told my, my three best friends, but they went to different high schools as well. So at my school, my Catholic school, nobody knew, my parents didn't know, but about a month into the school year starting, um, I was at home and I was on the phone with my boyfriend and I was like, oh, can I call you back? I just have to use the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. Got off the phone. Um, and when I came back to my room, uh, my phone was lit up as if someone had opened it. And I looked into my sister's room who was right next to mine. And I was like, hey, did you touch my phone? And she was like, no, I didn't touch your phone. And then shortly after she left the house and she went and told my parents. Oh. Yeah. So she, she went through my phone and saw that I had a boyfriend and she went and told my parents and they came home right away and were just furious. They just let me have it like the entire mm. night. I mean, and I, I also do want to go on the record here and say that like, I hold nothing against my parents. Like my, I'm so close with my parents. You know, we're like, we're very close and they do so much for me. I guess at the time it was a shock and sure. and at the time they weren't educated on it. And, and I knew it was going to be hard because growing up, my dad would often make statements about how he hated gay people. He just mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't understand. And so at, but that night was probably one of the worst nights of my life because mm-hmm. I have my dad screaming, I hate gays in my face, <laughs> you know, right after my sister went and pulled them. So, oh my and, gosh. And I was trying so hard in this, moment of panic to explain to them that like this is out of my control like I I I didn't choose to be this way I didn't like I didn't but I am and it is what it is and it just it was like falling on deaf ears and I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep because I was I was genuinely scared like I, I was like is someone are they gonna come into my room it was very paranoid I was like mm-hmm. but I was I was scared to go to sleep and then you know going to school this Catholic school where nobody knows I was like, I feel so alone in this moment. I feel so alone. No one at the school knows. My parents know, and they're not cool with it. What am I supposed to do? <clears throat> and so the funny thing is, is that sort of prompted me to tell a couple of my friends at school. I was at choir in the morning, and I didn't want to feel alone anymore. And so I told a few of the girls that I was friends with that I thought would be okay with it. And they were, they were totally fine about it. And I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of a liberating feeling. Like I have always been scared to tell people because that's how I've been conditioned. But Mm -hmm. these people are welcoming me with open arms. That wasn't bad at all. Like maybe my parents were just trying to scare me. And so I told a few of my friends and I was like, cool. I have friends, a safe space here at school. They know my best friends that go to different school. know. my boyfriend obviously knows and they love me. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And that day after school, I didn't come home. I went straight to my friend's house and, uh, you know, I had my mom, you know, my mom was calling me, where are you? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm not coming home. <laughs> but immediately my mom was like, Stephen, I'm worried about you, but I still love you. But my oh. dad, my dad didn't talk to me for like, it's over a month, I'd say. And he had to drive me to a soccer game one day. So that was when he kind of like had to talk to me. And after that, you know, it was fine. Things kind of sort of went back to normal, but I could not talk about my sexuality 
at all, mm-hmm. at all. Otherwise, it became a huge issue. Um, sorry, I hope I'm not. I'm hope I'm not dwelling on the subject for too no, long. No, 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 no. It's it's yeah. It's important because as similar as the stories are, everybody's experience is unique, right? Yeah. I mean, I can connect with so much of what you're saying. I grew up Catholic as well. Yeah. And, and I, I just couldn't. I didn't have the courage that you did. Yeah. Uh, to be able to come out until much, much later in life. So, I mean, truth be told, if my sister hadn't ratted me out, I don't know when I would have come out because I, I wasn't ready. And the, the, because I had only just had that moment of self-acceptance like a month ago. Right. Which, which is so hard already. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not ready to tell my parents, like, I'm definitely not ready to do this. And I feel like it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because on one end, it's like, I don't have to tell them now someone else did. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like that was my right taken away from me. Yeah. You know, and you just feel very exposed and very vulnerable about something that you've only come to accept yourself, you know, and I was 16 and it was all very new to me. So that was really, really tough. And he was not, you know, he was not okay with me having a boyfriend. So I had to like kind of sneak around to go see him and to talk to him and stuff, which was hard. It kind of felt like this weird Romeo and Juliet, like, are we all going to drink poison at the end of this situation? <laughs> I was like, oh, it was so tough. Like we would have snow days, like where we'd have no school and I was like, oh, great. Like my boyfriend and I don't have school. I'm going to go hang out with him. But like, I'd have to sneak out of the house and be like, oh, I'm going to the mall with my friends. You know, and it's just, and I hate lying. Like I hate it. I hate it so much. And I never did it growing up. You know, that's why, that's why my parents and I were so much closer than my parents with my sisters because I wasn't honest, like goody two shoes. And I hate lying to them, but I had to because for survival. I had, yeah. And I was doing something that I didn't think was wrong at all. Right. So I was just like, I'm not doing anything that harms anybody. I'm just going to see my boyfriend, you know? So, um, I felt bad, but I felt like I had to. And, you know, there were a couple of times when they caught me and they were like, you better come home because you're with him and you can't be with him. But, you know, we've come a long way. And, um, before all this pandemic stuff went down, my parents used to go to Las Vegas a lot and they would like go with friends and family and whoever else. But when they were there once, um, I'd say a year or two after I came out Mm -hmm. or or was dragged out, um, they met this guy who lives in Seattle named Craig. And uh, well, they met him and his husband, Todd. And they were like, they came home from Vegas one that year and they were like, Steven, like we met this guy and his name's Craig. He is the nicest guy. He's so much fun. He's so cool. And blah, 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 blah. They just went on and on about him. They're like, Oh, we can't wait for you to meet him. Cause I would go to Vegas with them sometimes. And I was like, Oh, cool. That's lovely. Like, I love that. And I noticed ever since then, especially with my dad, their behavior towards me changed drastically. Like all of a sudden I was able to talk about sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a few years later, I needed knee surgery because I tore my ACL playing soccer and my dad was helping me find surgeons and I was taken completely off guard because he was like, oh, I think you would like this knee surgeon. He's cute. And I was like- From your dad? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is a big step. I know. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And. I'll just never forget, or I think it was maybe that year as well. I went to Vegas with my parents and I met this guy, Craig, for the first time and Mm. and his husband, Todd. And um, we had a few too many drinks and I was alone with them. And Craig was like, you know, when I first met your dad and your mom, 
they asked me about you. They said, you know, our son is gay and we don't really know what to do about it. And Craig was like, you just have to love him. He didn't choose to be that way. You just have to love him. And I owe Craig, I haven't spoken to Craig in a while, obviously, but I, I owe him a lot. And I also, to a certain degree, I, I owe my parents a lot for taking that step. Sure. You know, because they were really reluctant to do so. I was like, can you please, when I first came out, I was like, can you please just like educate yourselves on this? Because like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be this way, you know? And they were really reluctant to do so. So the fact that they love me enough to take that step and to, mm-hmm. and to talk to this guy about it was, was really nice. I was like, they really do love me. I just think they were really taken off guard at the time. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was nice for me. And just knowing that like, you know, my parents would be there for me through anything at, at this point, you know, like they, they know about my partner and, I mean, they've known about past partners and they've, they've welcomed them with open arms and I can just be unapologetically me now in front of my family, which is really nice. Like the whole story has come full circle, but the beginning was very tough. Yeah. yeah, But you got through it. Now, how about your sister? Are you, how are things with her? Um, I don't really, we don't talk a lot. I mean, my sister and I have had ups and downs Mm -hmm. throughout our whole lives. I think when we were kids we never really got along all that well my sister is my sister and I are very different Mm -hmm. like I don't think you could meet anyone more different than my sister and I which is funny because we come from the same family sure yeah let's talk about your music um and I want to go back when did you discover your voice I mean it sounds like you had a very active uh, youthful period and so uh, how did music enter your life um music is the one thing that entered my life very organically honestly um because I did I grew up um I grew up as a jock like I played a lot of team sports um soccer volleyball hockey you name it I've done Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and and I love sports that's a huge part of who I am um and I'm grateful to my father who was the one who put me in all those sports when I was younger you know like he he was the one who was like hey let's put you in soccer let's put you in hockey let's put you in baseball and you know let's let's do it let's keep you active we got to make sure this nail polishing thing isn't a thing (laughs) i know right Right? (laughs) and little did he know i was a nail painting jock but because i love team sport there were some sports i didn't resonate with as much like after a while with hockey i was like this is getting too serious for me and really competitive i don't think i can do this anymore Mm -hmm. um but i honestly i uh i love playing i still love team sports you know prior to the pandemic I was still playing soccer and volleyball multiple times a week but um I was never given you know just like how I was kind of impulsively enrolled in all these things singing wasn't one of those things it was never like well let's put you in singing and see if you like it Mm -hmm. but I always knew I liked it I grew up listening to Mariah Carey and you know I was I was born in 92 so that was kind of around the time she had just sort of been flourishing and I, you know, I used to sing it with my mom a lot. My mom used to sing Always Be My Baby, Always Be My Baby to me. And mm. I don't know, I always I just always used to sing when I was a kid and I knew I liked it, but I didn't know if, you know, there was anything special to it. It was just I like singing. And I didn't I never really maybe because I never grew up taking lessons or performing, uh, I didn't really think anything could really come out of it. Mm-hmm. And then I got into high school. And then I got to see like the chamber choir perform and I was like, Oh, wow. I want to do that. Like I want to sing for people. 
<clears throat> and I went home that day and I told my dad, I was like, I kind of want to join choir. And he was like, uh, you're going to get made fun of and beaten up if you join choir. Like boys don't join choir. And I was like, I was like, but dad, this is the thing. I, I believed you up into this point. I really did. But a ton of the guys on the football team are in choir. And I was shocked because I didn't grow up thinking that that was a possibility. I was like, I was always told, oh, like only sissies do choir. Mm-hmm. And which nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, dad. But I was just kind of like, but dad, like, I swear there are, there are a lot of people um, on the football team who are in choir. So I don't think it's an issue. And he was like, well, if you say so, I guess if you must. Uh, I was like, cool, great. I get to join. And then, um, I was loving it. I loved it in the eighth grade. I joined it again. I joined like halfway through the year because I was scared to join. I finally did. And I was like, this is incredible. And then the year after I auditioned for chamber choir, I was one of the few that made it. And then, um, we had to sing at like some funeral, uh, for, I think maybe the parents of one of the teachers, mm-hmm. um, and there was this like, there was this solo part and uh, the guy who was supposed to sing it was like, it's kind of too high for me. And then they went through each and every guy in choir one by one to sing a, a snippet of it. And up until this point, I was really shy. Whenever I was asked to sing alone, I would kind of like, <gasps> and I don't know, again, this was another light switch moment because um, as soon as it got to my turn, I was like, let's just see what happens if I sing as if I do like when I'm in my bedroom with my iPod, like, let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing to lose. If I embarrass myself, I embarrass myself. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, Steven can do that. And then I ended up getting that solo part, which was really cool. And so I went home and I went to my parents. I was like, I know this is a funeral, but can you come and watch? Like, can you please? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then they came and they saw it and they were like, I think we should put you in lessons. Like, mm. you know, it was so cool. They were, my parents were like, you have something really special. And then. What was the song uh, that you sang? It was a song by U2 and it was called MLK. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know the song at the time. It was like one of the U2 songs that I was like, I've never heard of that before. But the melody was really pretty. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I want to try and it just hearing my parents say, oh, we should put you in lessons, you know, just hearing, hearing it and, and them seeing something special in me was really, really cool. And that was kind of how everything started. You know, I started lessons. And then later that summer, I sang at my first wedding. It was my cousin's wedding. But still, that was like my first gig. And everything just kind of went from there. I started entering contests and um you know, usually one like second place or something, but it was just another way for me to get more opportunities to perform because you meet other people and they're like, Oh, like, do you want to do a 30 minute set here? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yes, please. So that's kind of how it all started. So I I saw, I saw some of those audition tapes. You have a, you have a wonderful YouTube channel and you've got a lot of those captured. Um, And the one that caught my eye, which is one of my favorite songs is hallelujah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's listen to a little bit of it. I heard there was a secret chord David played and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do ya? Well, it goes like this The fourth, the fifth The minor fall and the major lift The baffled king composing Hallelujah Hallelujah, 
Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I love that song. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> when people started seeing these, you, you said you got some good response from the person selecting you to perform at this funeral. Um, yeah. Tell me about some of the other reactions that you got. I mean, your parents obviously thought you were good. What did, yeah. what did you hear? What did you start hearing? Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is when I started doing stuff on YouTube, for a long time, it was, I mean, not a ton of um, in-person stuff came out of it. Um, you know, it was, I, I had a very small channel and I didn't upload very often. Um, but when I did... I often got really good responses online and you know, I was always told by people, Oh, you should go on the voice or you should go on American Idol or this or that, but I'm not an American citizen. So I was like, I can't, uh, <laughs> but it was nice just to at least hear. It. Um, Cause it's very, it's a very vulnerable thing to put yourself online oh, yeah. for, for the whole world to have access yep. to you. It's very scary. Um, and so to, to be received with open arms by the online community, which can sometimes be quite aggressive, um, was really cool. And um, I guess eventually over time, it did start giving me certain opportunities. Like um, I was reached out um, to the NHL, Vancouver Canucks. Um, I guess they had seen my stuff and, and they were the ones who reached out one day, I think in 2012. And they were like, we're having a contest for people to do like the national anthems at our games. And we've seen your stuff online. Do you want to come and audition and, and compete? You know? And so I wouldn't have known about that opportunity had I not been on YouTube. So there were some cool things that came out of those earlier days that I never would have expected. That was, that was definitely the number one for me because, you know, we're in Canada. NHL is huge and right. and you're singing in front of like uh, about 15,000 people in that arena and then also whoever's watching on TV which is a lot of people so um it was really cool and you know I got that opportunity uh, YouTube's opened a lot of doors for me but I think more so in the last few years when I started really uploading regularly so I've got to ask you uh, <laughs> someone who says they have a lot of anxiety when I think about walking out into a crowd of 15,000 people and you're going to sing solo, <laughs> how did that go? There is nothing that helps my anxiety more than performing. I don't know what it is. I, I'm a, I am a very anxious person in life when I think about the future, when I think about romantic relationships, when I think about my friendships and the potential to ruin those things by saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and, and just not knowing the future, like those things. I've had issues with anxiety my entire life. I was diagnosed when I was 11 with extreme generalized anxiety disorder. And it was why I quit hockey. It was just, mm. it was, it was debilitating. And sometimes it still kind of is like, you have to be kind to yourself. And on those days, just kind of be like, you know what, today is not a day to be productive and that's okay. Um, but Singing makes everything go away. It's oh, like I'm it's like I'm a completely different person. I forget about anxiety, which I don't think is normally possible because I cannot shake those feelings off usually. But the minute it's time to sing, everything gets better. Good for you. Good for <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, I love it. I love being in front of a crowd. So <clears throat> talk to me about the artists that inspire you. I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of different musicians over the years. And, and in fact, was, I'm just thinking about an interview I watched uh, last night with Chris Martin. Oh, wow. Play. Like from Coldplay. Oh. Love Coldplay. Yes. Love oh, he's Chris so cool. Martin. 
Yes, is, me too. He's brilliant. Uh, he's so uh, talented. Yeah, and he's just so humble. You know, he really is. He seems really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you ever been to ever been to one of their concerts? I've never been to Coldplay. I would love oh, to. Put that honestly, on your list. Put I know. I know because. Because anyone who has come uh, to see him here in Vancouver, any of my friends that have gone have loved it. Yeah. It's been one of their favorite concerts of all time. Yeah, so. definitely worth it. But yeah. but for you, um, tell me about some of the artists that you are inspired by. Uh, top will always be Mariah Carey, hundred okay. percent. Like, um, I mean, she's she's the reason I decided to do all this. I just remember being three years old, four years old and seeing her Madison square garden performance on TV with my mom. And I was, that was really the moment for me where I was like, mom, I want to do that. Like, that's what I want to do. That's, and I owe a lot of my career to Mariah Carey. She's reacted to one of my covers, which was really oh, cool. Oh, Back nice. in 2018, I died. <laughs> um, oh my God. I just love her. And I love, honestly, singers of this generation, owe a lot of what she's done for the industry. She has completely paved the way for us. Just like how Aretha Franklin paved the way for most pop singers prior to Mariah Carey. I feel like Mariah Carey really carried that torch as well and paved the way for a lot of newer singers. And I mean, anyone, any pop singer who says they haven't been influenced by Mariah Carey in some way is kind of lying. I mean, like everyone has been in some way or another, whether you realize it or not. So she's a huge one for me. Um, huge bucket list moment when I got to see her live in 2017. I went by myself. I died. I went to heaven. It was so good. <laughs> um, so she's a big one. Uh, John Legend is another oh, yeah. one that influences my sound. Yeah. Um, he's just got that like smoky, soulful baritone <clears throat> that I just love. And my, one of my favorite things is to sing accompanied by piano. So he's just like... And I love his writing. Ordinary People is probably one of my favorite songs mm. of all time. Um, uh, Michael Bublé is a big one. Mm -hmm. He's from the same city as me. He's from Burnaby. And we've sung together a few times. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah, which was really cool. Yeah, we, we sung together a couple times in 2013. And then once randomly in 2015, sort of. Um, so it was really cool to know he, that he, he knew who I was and uh, was impressed. That was really cool because I... I think Michael Bublé was probably one of my earliest influences because when I first started singing, I was basically only doing his songs because I was like, they're, they're perfectly within my range. They suit me really well. And so really whether I wanted to or not, he was influencing the way I sounded hundred percent, you know, and, and I got that comparison a lot when I was younger, it was like, Oh, like the next Michael Bublé, you kind of sound like a baby Bublé. I get that. I get that. Um, that comparison a little bit now still just because I think that's just kind of where my voice sits naturally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> I don't cover as many of his songs anymore because um I did want to develop my own identity while still being able to use of all of my past influences and and you know use those flavors to define who I am mm -hmm. um so I don't get the comparison as much but I still do even when I'm not singing Michael Buble songs it's like you kind of sound like Michael Buble <laughs> So he's a big one. Him, John Legend, and Mariah Carey are probably my top three, but there are others. Sarah Bareilles mm -hmm. is another huge one. Just that that adult contemporary uh, piano, powerful vocal songwriting situation. Yeah. So she's another big one for me too. Artists like that are are huge in influencing who Stephen Skatcha is and how he sings. So give me the most important thing that Mariah taught you. 
Well, when she reacted to my cover, she told me not to scratch my face too much while I'm filming. Um, that was a big one. <laughs> she is so cute. Um, yeah, for me, I think, I think I identify the most with kind of her fearlessness because she's had a lot of moments in her career where a lot of people were against her. A lot of people were laughing at her. She had her downfall moments, you know, 2001. She's had a lot of rough patches, certain performances that haven't gone well that she's bounced back from. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's that persistence and that resilience that's really kind of touched me a little bit because that's one thing I've learned is that you have to be persistent in this industry. Otherwise, you're not. Absolutely. You're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it, that, that doesn't mean anything about relying on others. You can do this yourself, but you need to be persistent and you need to be consistent. And I mean... Who's more consistent than Mariah Carey? She has bounced back from literally anything. So, I mean, that's a huge one for me. Well, you've got quite a catalog of performances on your YouTube channel. And yeah. so this is probably a great time for a music break. Pick one and tell me what we're going to play. Um, I want to kind of go with my heart a little bit. Um, and I really like my cover of um, When I Look at You by Miley Cyrus. Okay, so let's take a break and take a listen to When I Look at You by Miley Cyrus.
so much that was absolutely beautiful and if you're just joining us you're listening to Alpine News in Depth here on KRCB Radio I'm Greg Moralia and joined tonight by vocalist Stephen Skatcha from Canada I noticed in your like catalog it. of songs though that you have an awful lot of Disney tunes <laughs> yeah, so, so tell me about where the inspiration <clears throat> and the attachment with Disney Disney comes from I mean, I was I was born in 92 so I grew up with like The Little Mermaid and The Lion King I mean those were the movies I watched as a kid. <clears throat> and I think that was another one of those moments where my sound was kind of unknowingly influenced, you know? And it was another comparison I got a lot when I started on YouTube was, oh, he kind of sounds like a Disney prince. Um, I don't know, I guess maybe just like that kind of warm tone, people kind of immediately think, oh, he kind of sounds like a Disney prince. And, you know, they were the songs that I, I liked to sing a lot in high school with my friends and stuff like that when I was in high school high school musical was popular Mm -hmm. Disney channel stuff Mm -hmm. and I don't know I mean like Disney's just like this this fun happy genre and the songbook very much is that it's very uplifting and it reminds people of a nostalgic time in their life um whether it's new Disney or old Disney because I feel like people it always takes people back I mean I mean for me it does it brings me back to like my childhood years even if I'm singing a song from Frozen which is a newer uh um Disney film but you know for me it was one of those things where it was just like I didn't know how well received it was going to be but it was at at the beginning it was kind of selfish choices I was like I want to do a Disney song this week and then eventually people were asking more and more for them and I was like, oh, maybe people have the same alignment that I do. Like, maybe it's cool for me to just sing what I want and connect with. And people are going to connect with it because I'm connected with it. And then eventually, um, my buddy, Greg, who mm-hmm. you've been corresponding with, right. he's the one who helps me with my YouTube channel. And honestly, like, I need to take a second to tell you that I owe Greg so much because he believed in me when nobody did. And he was the one who told me to do YouTube. I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Greg. So nice. if Greg is listening, bless your heart. Like I owe him everything, but he was the one eventually he was like, you know, Steven, when your channel grows enough, why don't we start like a separate Disney channel, like just for Disney covers? And I was like, that's brilliant. Are you kidding me? I would love to do that. Um, And yeah, we did, we did actually start another, another channel for Disney covers called covers of the wind. Um, it's been live since last March, although I haven't uploaded to it uh, 
very much recently because I uh, need to take some time to uh, learn a bunch more Disney songs because mm-hmm. I've sung a lot of them now. <laughs> yeah, you've got but, a, you've got a bunch on your on your regular channel. Yeah, exactly. So I've got a bunch on there, and then even more on Covers of the Wind, which is my Disney channel. But like, I mean, I love Disney, and we made this. I think it's on my main channel. We made this Disney medley. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it, I, but it was like, yeah. It was like, I think my 10 favorite Disney songs. And I worked really hard on that and just kind of piecing everything together. And uh, I, I love it. I still listen back to it sometimes just because, you know, it's something that I worked really hard on and um, really put my heart into it. I was like, these literally are my favorite Disney songs. And, you know, so it was fun. cool. Yeah, it was cool to see people be like, oh, I love this one. I love this one. Oh, and this one. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's hard not to like Elton John. I'm a huge fan right. of his. Right. The right. so Lion King for me is is big. One of the best. Yeah. The soundtrack is unbelievable. And when you're having a bad day, you know, hearing <laughs> Let It Go. Yeah, know. yeah. Hakuna Let It Go. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's perfect. Uh, yeah. I saw that you've you've performed a lot of different places, but you've got to do some pride events. Yes. And now as an out, fully supported gay man, you know, performing Talk about some of the pride events you've been to and and why that's important for you. It's absolutely important for me. I mean, we're celebrating the fact that we have certain freedoms that we used to never have. For me, pride is almost like a memorial for the people who came before us who didn't have it as lucky. And Mm -hmm. we have what we have because of them. Are things exactly where they should be? Absolutely not. There's work to be done still. Absolutely. There's always going to be. But I mean, pride for me is always just a a time of appreciation for those who fought for the rights that we do have. So, I mean, for me to lend my voice, do something that I love to contribute to these events, that's a no brainer for me. Anytime I'm given a pride opportunity, I'm like, please sign me up. Because I mean, especially in my earlier years when things weren't the greatest in my family after coming out you really have to choose your own family and this community, you know, is like this community is always going to be there for you because they think the same as you, they are the same as you. I mean, we all come from different places, but like at the end of the day, they have some sort of understanding, a personal understanding of what you've been through. And it's like this community is your family no matter what. Right. And for me, it's, it's very important. So I, I love the Pride performances I've done. They've always been a good time. I started with Fraser Valley Pride, which is like the Fraser Valley in British Columbia is like smaller cities that are a little further out of Vancouver, like 40 or 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, actually, that's another thing that came from online because um, the guy who runs Fraser Valley Pride, Pierre, who's become a dear friend of mine, um, he found my stuff online <laughs> and we became friends and we started talking. He was like, Oh, like you like video games, just like I like video games, but your voice is amazing and blah, 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 blah. And then eventually it was like, so would you be interested in singing for Fraser Valley pride one year? And I was like, uh, yeah, sign me up, please. <laughs> so that was my first pride performance was Fraser Valley. And it was so much fun. It was so hot outside. <laughs> it was, Oh my God. But it was the, it was the most fun. And then um, obviously cities who hold these pride performances, they all kind of talk to the other cities who hold prides. And so as a result of that, I got reached out to from New Westminster Pride, which is a much bigger pride here in mm-hmm. Vancouver because New Westminster has a pretty big gay population here. 
And I had never been to New West Pride. So I was really excited to get this opportunity. I was like, this is an excuse for me to go to New West Pride. And it was so much fun. And I think the cool part about that performance too was um, one of the organizers for New West Pride was getting married to his partner. And they wanted me to do like a surprise song on stage for them, a specific oh, one. And they, were gonna, and they were gonna get married right then and there. And I was like, this is so cool. I am seriously part of this, of this union that I didn't think I was gonna be a part of. And- What'd like, you say? Um, it was a song by, uh, the, it was a song by, um, by Queen. It's not that well known. Uh, I think it's called These Are the Days of Our Lives or something like that. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. I didn't know the song prior. And it's funny because I grew up with Queen. My dad loves Queen. Yeah. But I never heard that song. And then they were like, well, this is the song we want you to learn for this for this uh, situation. And I listened to it and I was like, this song is so cool. I think what I like about it is for Queen, it's very like laid back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I was like, I'm so into this. Um, it was really cool. And, you know, an opportunity for me to learn the music. So Good. Good I for you. It. Yeah, was that, Pride was so was that your favorite Pride event that you've done? I think so. I, I, well, the other thing that's also cool, though, is Burnaby, the city that I was raised in and the city that I still live in, they had their very first ever Pride. I think it was 2000. It was either 2018 or 2019. And I was a part of it. You know, I sang. And I, I mean, there's always going to be something super cool about singing at the first yeah. ever Pride of a city. You're making history. Yeah, so, absolutely. <clears throat> And it's my city, you know, the city I grew up in, the city I owe a lot to. Burnaby has always had my back, you know, always, no matter what I've done with my career. Burnaby has always been there for me. They've always hired me. So um, there's a sentimental kind of value to the Burnaby pride, right? But also the new S pride was just such a blast. So, I mean, I loved all of them. I I don't think I could even pick a favorite of my pride performances. They're, they're all amazing. They're all special. And I, I know Pierre would kill me if I didn't say Fraser Valley pride. So, you know, (laughs) okay, we'll go with that one. (laughs) Uh, Talk about your original music. I, I think I read and saw you're doing some of your own stuff. Yeah, I've released some original stuff. Um, I released an EP uh, of seven songs in 2015, and then I released uh, a couple newer songs in 2019, like two other originals. And I've done uh, a collaboration, a duet with another singer named David Browning. Uh, So I have a few originals out there, and some of them are really cool. Uh, Actually, they're all really cool. I wrote them. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) To be honest, writing is a lot newer to me than singing. It is something that I, and it's, and it's definitely, it doesn't come as naturally for me. So I've done, you know, all all of these things are co-writes and I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to work with some of these writers um, to learn something new. I hope that, you know, as time goes on, I'll continue to become more confident at writing because, you know, I'm confident enough to put myself out there vocally every single week. But when it comes to writing, releasing music is so nerve wracking for me because I don't have that level of confidence in my writing yet. You know, I hope one day that I can get to a point where um, I feel confident enough to be like, yeah, I'm writing another song. Boom, get into it. Okay, great. Well, let's listen to one of those songs. Uh, Pick one for us. Let's go Turn Back Time. You got it. Here's Turn Back Time by Steven Skatia. Sorry, I'm sorry now For what I did to you It's too late for sorry now 
I can't believe we're through I lost you when I broke your heart in two And now it's over I may not be what you want me to be I don't deserve this chance I know With you I had everything I threw away everything You're gone And I really can't believe That you'd pack up and leave Wish I could turn back time Stephen, you have nothing to fear with that song. It's absolutely beautiful. Good job. So we've got a couple of minutes left for all yeah. of those aspiring young performers out there uh, that are looking to break into the music industry. Give us a couple pieces of advice for them. Oh, 
I could go on and on, but um, I can at the very least tell you based on my personal experience, a couple of things that have been really important for me to learn. Um, one is despite what you may think, you do not need other people, industry executives and otherwise to make this work because that was a huge misconception that I had prior to starting to work with Greg. It was like, I was waiting for these opportunities. I was waiting for people to reach out to me and then relying on them for success in the industry. I was like, oh, this person will, will help me out and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you can't wait for anybody because everyone is trying to do their own thing <clears throat> at the end of the day. And it's like, if you do it yourself, if you do it, then you don't rely on other people to get things done. You just rely on yourself, you know? And it's just like, oh, I want to get this done. I will get it done. And um, it's something that I've really learned from my buddy, Greg, you know, who's, who's been there for me since, since day one. And he was like, you know what, Steven, like, let's, let's try to do this ourselves. I will, I will, I'm there with you. Let's work together and do it ourselves. Start uploading to YouTube once a week. And then that leads me into like my second piece of big advice is consistency. Like this is, this is a funny comparison, but I use this a lot, but I think about like someone's fitness journey, you know, they want to get into shape. They want to build muscle. They wanted this, they wanted that. They go to the gym and um, for someone who's new to it, a week will go by and they'll be like, I'm not noticing any changes. I'm getting frustrated. I'm out, you know? And you kind of have to approach YouTube in the same way that you approach like a fitness journey because you need to be consistent and you need to keep doing it. One week of time is not going to make a difference, you know? And that was, again, something that Greg taught me. He was like, make sure you don't stop uploading. Just do one video a week for now and let's see what happens. I promise you it will make a difference. And 130,000 subscribers later, here we are. You know, like, and I started at that point, that was 2018, I had 1500, (laughs) you know, and it's like, there is something that really, really needs to be said about consistency. I think I have a good voice. Are there better singers out there? Absolutely. I mean, like, you're never going to be the absolute best. But I think what sets me apart from other really talented singers is I just consistently put myself out there every single week. I seldom skipped a week. And if I did, I would upload like a couple days later anyway. You know, it was just, it is like going to the gym. It, it eventually becomes as part of your routine. I don't think about it anymore. I'm just like, oh, oh, uh, it's almost Sunday. It's YouTube video time. I don't, I don't think about it. It's just something that's innately in my schedule now. And it's just something that you need to get used to. It's like you make time for it in you know, when you're, when you're first getting started, but then eventually it just becomes ingrained right. into your schedule. And that consistency <clears throat> will help anyone who is starting out. Like it will help anybody just be consistent. Don't stop producing content. Um, even if you're feeling discouraged, because I did, I spent a lot of my first few months looking at analytics, looking at view counts, looking at subscribers. And my buddy Greg was like, you, you can't look at that stuff. And, um, He's like, he's like, you need to be patient. Patience is a, is a huge part of this industry. Not everything happens overnight. Actually, nothing does, <laughs> you know? And that's why, that, that's why the consistency plays into it. You keep uploading because nothing's going to happen overnight. Like you're not just going to witness those changes. The whole point of doing this slowly and steadily is to cultivate um, an audience that's going to stick with you. You don't want to be like a flash in the pan. You want an audience that, is going to connect with you and stay with you and 
be involved in in your career and the things that you're passionate about. Because otherwise, I mean, if no one's really invested in in you, then it doesn't really matter that right. much. Right. You know? Yeah. And the other thing I would say too is the the first thing Greg ever told me, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> that was that's like the biggest piece of advice I can say. He's like, is does this excite you? Does this is this fun for you? Does this fire you up? If yes, then you keep doing it. If not, then you don't. Like you have to just enjoy every moment. If you if you're not having fun doing it, you need to do it a different way. Everyone has a different path in music to success and I don't think there's a right or a wrong path, but you have to pick the path that's most fun for you. Yeah. And it's very clear in your videos that you're having fun. That comes oh. that comes across. <laughs> a blast. Loud yeah. and clear. <laughs> oh my gosh, Which I love is it. Great. So yeah. tell our listeners where they can go to jump on that 130,000 followers and become part of your family. The Skatcher fam. Yeah. The I, you fam. can, yes, I 100% would encourage anyone to, who hasn't checked out my YouTube to go and check me out on YouTube. Steven Skatcha, Steven with a PH, Skatcha, S-C-A-C-C-I-A. Um, you can follow me on Instagram where I post other things, Facebook as well. Um, and Spotify, Apple Music if you want to see some of my original stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. And if you missed that website, we'll have links on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. We've been talking with singer-songwriter Steven Scaccia. Uh, you are quite a rising talent, and I predict that we're going to see you on the Grammy someday. I feel very blessed already, you know? Like, <laughs> even when I had... 25,000 subscribers and I was much smaller. I feel very blessed. I feel very, very lucky that I get to wake up every week and just do what I enjoy and have people respond to it positively. I couldn't ask for anything better. And that wraps up our hour. Tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on 104.9 KRCB-FM, Sonoma County's NPR station. In the meantime, have a great week. Happy Pride. And thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised here in Sonoma County, with no antibiotics ever. You can learn more at rockyandrosie.com. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next.